Welcome to Open Your Eyes, a podcast about empowering each of us with the perspective and tools to grow and change. At this very special time of year, we send our best wishes to you and yours. And I hope as you join this podcast today that your life and family are doing well and prospering. And we hope this podcast helps you find a few insights and a bit more hope to live a happier life. You see, it's our firm belief that a powerful way to do that is to open our eyes to new ways of seeing life. So hopefully, this podcast will give you a new perspective and tools you can use to think and live better. And when you're done listening, share this podcast with a friend. It may be just what they need in their life today. Let's get started. Today, I'd like to talk about the positive approach. On February 27, 1807, in Portland, Maine, which at the time was part of Massachusetts, a baby boy was welcomed into the world. He was the second of eight children. His ancestor was Richard Warren, a passenger on the Mayflower, and his maternal grandfather was Peleg Wadsworth, a general in the Revolutionary War. Henry and his siblings were destined to be educated from a very young age. His mother surrounded him with books. His favorite was Don Quixote. This book and others would have a huge impact on him. Don Quixote, the second most translated book in history, was written in 1605. And it's the story of Alonzo Quiano, who, after reading so many chivalric romances, begins to believe that he is a wandering knight. He even recruits a farmer, Sancho Panza, to be a squire. And this begins a series of adventures in which he lives out his knightly stories. Well, much of the positivity and adventure from these stories stayed with Henry as he went through school. He fell in love with literature and dedicated his life to it. And after graduating from college, he toured Europe to learn French, Spanish, and Italian. He then took up a professorship at Bowdoin College and then Harvard College. After his first wife passed away, Longfellow met Boston industrialist Nathan Appleton, and he started to court Appleton's daughter, Fanny Appleton. But Fanny wasn't interested in marriage. But this didn't ever deter the ever-positive Longfellow. He wrote to a friend, The lady says she will not. I say she shall. It's not pride, but the madness of passion. Now, during the long, drawn-out courtship, Henry didn't give up his positivity or his determination. He frequently walked from Cambridge to Appleton's home on Beacon Hill by crossing the Boston Bridge. And his journeys back and forth across the bridge to persuade Fanny to marry him became so famous that decades later, when a new bridge replaced the old, it was named after Henry Longfellow, the Longfellow Bridge. And if you think this story's a stretch, the Longfellow Bridge connects to a smaller pedestrian bridge today named the Fanny Appleton Bridge. Now, I've always loved this story, that despite Fanny's rebuffs, Longfellow stayed in the positive approach. He walked that bridge over and over again, seven years years. And I wonder what he thought about on those walks. And did that thinking aid Longfellow in his perspective and his writing? Was he a better poet because of it? I think so. In all of it, he kept his famously positive outlook. He chose the good and right path, the positive approach. Longfellow wrote, lives of men all remind us 
we can make our lives sublime and departing leave behind us footprints on the sands of time. And you and I have likely faced something similar in life in which what we wanted was delayed. Who we needed was not available and what we got in return for our attempts to advance something was negativity instead of positivity. And in the midst of it, did we take the positive approach? Did we choose the good and work to magnify the good of it all? Well, after seven years of walking the Boston Bridge, Fanny sent Henry a letter agreeing to marry him. His father-in-law bought them a house and Longfellow lived there for the rest of his life. Together, they had six children, and from his work and life in that house, Longfellow's literary works became more and more famous, and he would become one of the most famous American poets in history. He wrote, Kind hearts are the gardens, kind thoughts are the roots, kind words are the flowers, kind deeds are the fruits. Take care of your garden and keep out the weeds, fill it with sunshine, kind words and deeds. In the 1800s, many women wore long and wide skirts or dresses. Hoop skirts and petticoats were the fashion of the day. And the problem was that cooking was done with fire, and many fireplaces were low on the ground. So it was not uncommon for women to wander too close to the fire, and their wide skirts would catch on fire. Well, 17 years into their marriage, Fanny was attempting to seal an envelope with hot wax and her dress caught on fire. Longfellow, who was sleeping, heard screaming from the other room, and he jumped into action, stifling the flames with his own body, but he was too late. Fanny was badly burned. The doctor was called, but Fanny lost consciousness, and at 10 a.m. the next morning, Fanny passed away. Longfellow, who had a badly burned face and body himself, was devastated and would never recover from the loss. The wife for whom he had hoped and worked and waited was gone. Henry would famously write, Into each life some rain must fall, some days must be dark and dreary. It was during these long, dark days that Longfellow's oldest son, Charles, joined the Union Army. Longfellow himself was an abolitionist, and his son felt a duty to serve. And Charles was soon appointed to be a lieutenant. But in the Battle of Mine Run, he was severely wounded. The battle, five months after Gettysburg, happened in the first week of December. So when Longfellow got the news, he was beyond grief-stricken. First his wife, now his oldest son. So on Christmas morning, 1863, with his heart low and contemplating his first Christmas without his wife and son, and with the Civil War blazing across the South, he had a scripture on his mind. The scripture is found in St. Luke and repeats the words sang by a multitude of angels to shepherds who sang, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. How ironic. Here in the midst of the bloodiest war in U.S. history, Henry is thinking of peace and goodwill toward men. Here, after losing his wife and supposing his son to be lost as well, he's thinking about glory to God. He takes the positive approach. How did he do it? Perhaps it was those long walks across the Longfellow Bridge where he took the positive approach over and over again. And here he was again on another walk, alone on a bridge across another challenge in life. Well, whatever it was, 
Longfellow did something with those thoughts on that dreary Christmas. He sat down and started to write. And here's what he wrote. I heard the bells on Christmas Day, their old familiar carols play. Then from each black accursed mouth, the cannon thundered from the south. And with the sound, the carols drowned of peace on earth, goodwill to men. And in despair, I bowed my head. There is no peace on earth, I said, for hate is strong and mocks the song of peace on earth, goodwill to men. But Longfellow shows his positive approach. And in the final verse, he wrote, Then pealed the bells more loud and deep. God is not dead, nor doth he sleep. The wrong shall fail, the right prevail, with peace on earth, goodwill to men. Well, nine years later, the poem would be set to music, and soon I heard the bells on Christmas Day would become an anthem of hope, written on a day of hope, celebrating the source of hope. Now, we don't have to be as eloquent or as educated as Henry Wadsworth Longfellow to see that there is goodness and light, and to choose to take the positive approach. It is a choice we all get to make more than once in life. And on the far side of choice, of that choice, is inspiration, beauty, and restoration, just as Longfellow's hymn suggests. The wrong shall fail, the right prevail, through goodwill towards each other. You know, the definition of goodwill is friendly, helpful, or positive feelings or attitude. Have you ever known someone with a genuinely helpful or friendly disposition? How about the opposite? Have you ever known someone who just seems to have a critical nature? What was it like to be around them? Now, it's easy for you and me to get into the habit of being critical or negative. And soon, we may not even be aware that we are that way. And as a result, people who are around us may not want to be around us that much. You know, the old popular story of the wife who had put up with her husband's critical nature for years. And one day she cooked him breakfast, for which she cooked two eggs, one scrambled and one fried. When she took the plate to the table where her husband was sitting, he looked at the eggs and said, I should have known you fried the wrong egg. In my life, there's something habit-forming about seeing the wrong side of things and of people. And when I do this, I may not notice at first but I start to change, and it impacts my view of me and my relationships with other people in negative ways. A negative view can rob you of some very important things. And the first thing you lose is yourself. You see, you can't take the negative approach and not lose part of you in the process. Because your patterns of negative thinking soon turn from others to you. It takes away an accurate view of you and your potential. Here's how, and stick with me on this because this is really important. Each day, we all have thoughts working in our brain. And in its most basic form, here's how thoughts work. The brain is primarily composed of neurons or cells that generate electrical impulses. And the human brain has close to 100 billion of these neurons. The electrical signals travel like a wave to thousands of other neurons and these connections form patterns or thoughts. For example, a thought about home would create a pattern of neurons firing, and a thought about a person would form another pattern of neurons firing. And every time you repeat the thought, 
the neuronal firing reinforces the circuitry. And this means that if we're put in the same situation twice, the firing of our neurons is going to be reinforced. And this is why people tend to react the same way in similar situations. Now, why is it important to understand this basic way we are wired? Because if you have, over time, become critical or negative in your thinking, your neurons have been firing in a certain way, and you've established patterns. And those patterns are influencing other patterns, like those in your day-to-day life. So when you have a thought, your brain searches for patterns to connect to. And if your established patterns are negative, you will think automatically negative, even about yourself. Here's a simple example. My tendency is not to be a patient driver. And because I'm busy, I'm impatient. And when I am, I get into the habit of talking to the drivers in front of me. They can't hear me, but I talk to them in my car. And I used to say, okay, time to turn left or let's go and so forth. Not a big deal, right? Well, not so fast. Repeated over time, this type of thinking forms patterns in my brain. So much so that even though I've stopped talking in my car to other drivers, I can't drive without thinking those thoughts when I drive. And here's the thing. I notice that those driving thoughts spill over into other areas of my life. I start to be critical about the way people shop or walk, talk, and so forth. So my patterns of thinking in one area subconsciously impact other areas of my life and thinking. So yes, I learned that my brain automatically borrows my critical thought patterns for other uses. And this happens to us all the time. If your thoughts become negative in one area, forming a pattern, your brain tries to apply that pattern, particularly if it's repeated often, as your way of thinking about yourself, about others, and in other areas of your life. Now, I've learned a way to combat this way of developing patterns in your brain. Take the positive approach. If you could form positive patterns in your thinking, your brain would therefore automatically apply those patterns to other areas of your life without you even trying. The power of positive would therefore be multiplied. How do I take the positive approach when I'm driving? Well, I still talk to the other drivers. They can't hear me. But I say things like, thank you, that was a nice maneuver, or I love that car, and you got skills, lady. And you know what? It's becoming my new pattern of thinking. And I find that it spills over to other areas of my life. In particular, I'm more willing, more apt to engage, more interested, and positive. You see, the positive approach has its returns. On October 24th, 1929, Black Thursday took place. Now, Black Thursday wasn't at all like Black Friday, the shopping day we have today after Thanksgiving. There was nothing good about it and had nothing to do with shopping. Black Thursday was the largest sell-off of shares on the stock market in history. It was followed by Black Tuesday and signaled the beginning of the Great Depression. Now, for perspective, after its fall, the stock market didn't return to the same level it was before Black Thursday in 1929 until November of 1954. It took 25 years to recover. The Great Depression would last 10 years. GDP fell by 15% something we haven't seen in our lifetime. Unemployment was 23%. Thousands and thousands of companies shut their doors. 
production fell by 45%, and millions of people entered into extreme poverty with no jobs and no way to provide for themselves or their family. During this time, Norman was serving as a minister in New York. He and his wife struggled to help the members of their congregation who were suffering, and the economic depression resulted in extreme personal depression and anxiety in the lives of the members, and they searched for ways to help those members. Well, Norman's wife, Ruth, suggested he find a psychiatrist who could help the members, and he ended up finding Clarence Lieb. Together, they would work to help people who were suffering. Later, they wrote a book entitled, Faith is the Answer. By the way, I believe that's true. But years later, what Norman learned and the patterns he saw take shape in people's lives during the Depression led him to write another book, The Power of Positive Thinking. Now, in my earlier life, I read this book several times. And this book is not without its critics, but it was life-changing at the time for me. Psychologists like Martin Seligman say that the book advises readers to think daily thoughts like, every day in every way I'm getting better and better. And Seligman says, that is not sustainable to think those thoughts in the midst of no evidence of it. And I'm not so sure Seligman got that right. I do think that Norman Vincent Peale may have been a bit extreme, but not wrong. Peale wrote, a positive thinker does not refuse to recognize the negative. He refuses to dwell on it. Positive thinking is a form of thought which habitually looks for the best results from the worst conditions. He also masterfully wrote, change your thoughts and you change your world. Now, here's the thing. Norman was informed by the years of work with people during the Depression. He saw the worst the economy had to offer. He saw the loss of self-esteem the inability to control circumstances, and the struggle of parents to put food on the table for their families. And from all of that emerged his firm belief that faith and positivity can and does change a person and the world. And it's understandable then that after his experiences, he wrote, stand up to your obstacles and do something about them. You'll find they haven't half the strength that you think they have. In one corner of his book, and writings, he wrote something profound, and it will lead us to the positive approach. He said, make sure you pay attention to what's right with your life, not just what's wrong. So what does all of this mean to you and me? Well, I've seen people who purposefully work on positivity, and without exception, they have an amazing life. Not because bad things don't happen to them. They have their fair share but because they have changed the wiring in themselves. They don't see or pay attention to the negative. Years ago, one of my favorite speakers shared this quick story. A young couple, Lisa and John, moved into a new neighborhood. And one morning while they were eating breakfast, Lisa looked out the window and watched her next-door neighbor hanging out her wash. That laundry's not clean, Lisa exclaimed. Our neighbor doesn't know how to get clothes clean. John looked on but didn't say anything. And every time her neighbor would hang out the wash to dry, Lisa would make the same comments. Well, a few weeks later, Lisa was surprised to glance out her window and see a nice, clean wash hanging in her neighbor's yard. She said to her husband, Look, John, she's finally learned how to wash correctly. I wonder how she did it. Well, John replied, I don't know, but I did wash your windows yesterday. Sure enough, 
the view from our window, from our belief window, can get stained with our own negative view. And this tends to stain everything we see around us. Now, undoubtedly, you, like me, work with an associate or with someone who always has a negative view. I mean, I do. A person I work with is just sour, and the sourness has moved to their face. They look sour. They talk sour. And everyone tends to avoid or walk gingerly when interacting with them. And the funny thing is, this person is incredibly smart and capable, but the negativity, blaming, criticism, and other habits have caused them to be ineffective in what they do. The opposite is also true. I work with some less than capable people who I would trust to do the job every time. Why? Because they are positive and optimistic and eager and willing. You may have heard the famous quote in HR circles by Herb Kelleher about who to hire. It says, you don't hire for skills, you hire for attitude. You can always teach skills. And it is possible to think critically about issues, to examine talent closely, and still avoid being a critical and negative person. So, what are some easy ways to create the right positive patterns in your thinking? Well, here's the first. Recognize the tremendous power in positivity. Joel Osteen tells one of my favorite stories. He talks about a wife who could not get her husband to be prompt in mowing the lawn each week. She loved having a clean, neat lawn, but left to him, it would be two to three weeks since the last mowing before he would take the initiative to get out in the heat and mow the grass. She tried explaining to him how the grass needed to be mowed. She nagged, she reminded, she left notes. Nothing seemed to work. Then she landed on the positive approach. And the next time he mowed the lawn, it was hot and he took off his shirt because he was sweating so badly. When he was done, she took him a cold lemonade and said, you know, when you were mowing the lawn just now, you looked really good. In the hot sun, your muscles somehow looked bigger and you were well-defined. And with that sweat running down your face, you were attractive. I love watching you mow the lawn. What was the result? He mowed the lawn twice a week. Now, the principle of praising and leaning to the positive approach works in almost every setting and with almost every person. If you want to be an awesome parent of teenagers, use the power of positive. For example, John, I really love how you're making the right kind of decisions that will have a long-term impact on your life. Not many kids your age have that kind of wisdom. It's remarkable. Or, Cammie, it's so impressive the effort you're putting into your science class. There aren't many students who do that, and I'm noticing you're becoming smarter. I can see it in your language and your interactions with people. The positive approach works. Now, the positive approach works in business as well. Let's say the primary responsibility you have in your job or business is to secure new accounts. So you're approaching people all the time. And so many of you listening to this podcast have to make an approach about something or some product or something in your business all the time. So let me give you a couple of examples. This week, I received several emails from various companies wanting to do business with mine. And I don't know where they got my email address. I don't have a relationship with them, but they reached out to me anyway. Here's an actual email. Dear McKay, our platform is an alternative to Facebook and Google advertising that lets you email your lost website traffic, even if you don't have their email addresses. 
We'd love to get your website connected with our list of over 200 million unique opted-in users before the holidays. Now, there's nothing wrong with their initiative or reaching out, but there are a lot of things wrong with the approach. Notice the first word in their message was our. The second sentence begins with, we'd love to get your website. Everything seems to be about them. Now, what if the same email was written with a positive approach like this? Dear McKay, your company mission is remarkable. Too many websites don't even address their mission, but yours not only addresses it, but weaves it throughout. More people need to connect with what you have going on, and we would love to help you. We specialize in helping you reach people through email who visit your site when you don't have their email addresses. Could we help you expand your reach? You see, the positive approach is focused on what's good and right and what's unique and how you can help. So, every time you make an approach, start with the positive. Start with what's right and good. Then share how you can be of help. And you can use this same approach to do just about anything. In your own thoughts, as you review your day, start with the positive and what's right and good. Then think about how you can help. You have to help your own thoughts. You have to prime them in the right way every day. So start with what is right and good with you. So what's the lesson? Well, when you approach anything or anyone, take the positive approach. When you walk up to someone, think, how can I take the positive approach? And when you do, you'll find the words you use and the feeling they get will change everything. In fact, every time you're faced with a challenging person or situation, just do this. Take the positive approach. If there is a choice to be made, take the positive and watch what will happen. Yes, you will get better results with people, but you, your thought patterns and how you feel about yourself will also improve. You know, for years, I served as the president of a large organization. And about once a week, our controller would walk into my office and he would say something like this. McKay, thank you for my job. I love working here. I love the people. I love our mission. And I'm so grateful to you for letting me be part of this team. Well, every time he left my office, I felt better. I just felt better. I felt better about him. I was more apt to reach out to him. I felt better about my job. I just felt better. And I have a good friend. And from time to time, she'll just send a simple text that says, happy Wednesday or happy Friday. I smile every time. And you know, it's funny how draining the opposite approach can be. I have a person I work with and we have a one-on-one -on -one meeting every week. And in this meeting, they tend to complain, tell me what's wrong, tell me what's wrong with me and so forth. In fact, I never knew we or I was that bad until they told me. <laughs> and I leave every one of those meetings with two reactions. The first is just an overall negative feeling. And the second is the thought of how much I don't want to meet with them again. The negative approach notices what's wrong with people. The positive approach speaks up about what's right with people. The negative approach focuses on what to avoid. The positive approach focuses on what to attempt. The negative tends to push people away. The positive brings people your way. A few years ago, I read about David who took the positive approach with his daughter. 
he made the decision to write a post-it note to his daughter every night before she went to bed. And he put it in a place where she was sure to find it in the morning, on her mirror, in her lunchbox, on her bedroom door, or in some other conspicuous place. On each note, he wrote something he appreciated about her. I appreciated your help with the dishes tonight. Or I was really inspired by how hard you worked on your math and got an A on your final. One day, months later, he went into her room looking for a lost item. On his way out of the room, he saw 250 post-it notes stuck on the back of her bedroom door. His daughter had kept every one of his notes. So now, think about it. Every time she leaves her bedroom, she sees 250 notes of appreciation that remind her that somebody loves her and just how valuable she is. What a powerful message. What wonderful therapy, all from a simple post-it note and the positive approach. You'll be amazed at the power of the positive approach. Don't let your critical nature have its way with you one more day. Each time you start to go back to the negative approach, pivot and choose the positive, and you'll find that you become someone you always hoped you would become. Be so positive that negative people won't want to be around you. You know, Bob Proctor famously said, people who accomplish great things are aware of the negative. However, they give all their mental energy to the positive. Remember, everyone's imperfect, myself included. We all have flaws. And if you wanted, you could criticize and find something wrong with me most of the time. We're all in the same situation. So why not, with people like ourselves, choose the positive, the constructive, the validating, the optimistic approach? As we end today, remember Longfellow and his seven years of positive approach across the Longfellow Bridge. And remember the tolling bells in your life and mine that ring out to bring peace on earth and goodwill toward men. And do that, especially in this season, by taking the positive approach in your life and with those around you. Remember, at this time of year, you are loved. You have immense potential. And the positive approach in life is waiting for you to rise and become who you are meant to become. Most of all, thanks for being here today. And don't forget to share this podcast with a friend and join us next week for another podcast as we learn to open our eyes to who and what we can become.